Recording in progress. Good morning. Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society as we mark yesterday's 53rd observance of Earth Day. My name is Perry Bider. My pronouns are he, him, and I am the officiant today. West is one community unified across time and space gathering for these Sunday platforms to affirm our values and commit to a better world. So I want to welcome those of you who are here in the hall those who are watching now on Zoom and those who are catching the recording later. If you are on Zoom, please check the chat for a welcome and various tips from Joe Klein, today's Zoom chat usher. If you're here in the hall and would like an assistive listening device, please ask the sound team at the back. If you're visiting here in person, please stop by the welcome table after platform today to speak to a greeter or to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas. Those of you visiting online now or later, we invite you to send an email to maceo at m-a-c-e-o-t at ethicalsociety.org or to fill out a connection form, which you can find at tiny.cc slash westconnects. I will now read a few of the greetings that folks have written in the Zoom chat. Uh, folks joining in virtually can use this time to get a candle to light during our candle lighting if they so choose. So, oh, lots of uh, greetings have come in today. Uh, one from Amy Foltz and uh, Donna Taylor and Alex Abbott, uh, Trang Duong. Hey, I'm sure more will, oh, there's another one from Usola. Uh, great to hear from you folks. And I imagine more will be chiming in shortly. Opening words this morning are a quotation from Van Jones from a 2008 interview that appeared in Mother Jones magazine. Environmental justice is the movement to ensure that no community suffers disproportionate environmental burdens or goes without enjoying fair environmental benefits. Um, I don't think Van Jones and Mother Jones are any relation, but today's music comes to us from our music coordinator, Liam Morris, starting with the opening song, Blue Boat Home. Feel free to sing along. Good morning, Wes, Leah here, grateful as always to be able to share with you and be with you in this way this morning. I hope you'll take a second, a deep breath, Maybe stand if you feel inclined and are able. 
to join in this song that we're all familiar with and that we've sung together many times before. Uh, the lyrics are by Peter Mayer, Blue Boat Home, in celebration of our shared home. Song. Each week, we read our statement of purpose as a reminder of our shared values. If you're interested in taking a turn to read the statement of purpose, you can sign up at tiny.cc readsop. You can read it here in person or make a recording that will be included in a future platform. Today's reader is Ross Wells. Ross has worn many hats here over the years and is currently very active in our uh, quest for immigration justice.
Thank you, Perry. Good morning. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you, Ross. As Ross lights our community candle, I invite those of you with candles at home to light yours and for everyone to join in our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Let us now enter into the centering time of our platform. Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I am particularly mindful of the five community leaders and environmental activists from El Rodeo and the surrounding area of Santa Marta in El Salvador, who have been unjustifiably imprisoned since January as part of the Salvadoran government's scheme to undo the historic ban on mining that was enacted six years ago to protect the country's water resources. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us open our hearts to compassion for those who suffer. And let us commit ourselves to the work that calls for our love. I invite you now into a time of meditation. Take a moment to get as comfortable as you can in your seat. If you want to stretch a bit, please do so. And join in me, join with me in taking a nourishing full breath. And again, if you're comfortable, you may want to close your eyes or just soften your gaze as you continue breathing. I invite you to spend the next moments 
imagining or revisiting or experiencing in your mind your connection to the ecosystem, the natural world, the biosphere that we live in, that we are a part of, that provides us with life. We will continue our meditation in silence and then in the music that follows. Today's reading is by Leah Thomas, 
It's the opening paragraphs of the introduction to the intersectional environmentalist, how to dismantle systems of oppression to protect people plus planet. We can't save the planet without uplifting the voices of its people, especially those most often unheard. We should care about the protection of people as much as we care about the protection of the planet. To me, these fights are the same. As a society, we often forget that people are part of our global ecosystem and that we don't exist separately from nature. We coexist with it each and every day. Unfortunately, as with some, as with other animals, some humans are endangered and facing a multitude of social and environmental injustices that impact their ability to not only survive, but also thrive in liberation and joy. Why then are conservation efforts not extended to the protection of endangered humans and their human rights? This is a question I've struggled with as a black environmentalist for years, because in my environmental practice, caring for the earth means caring for its people. The earth shouldn't be taken for granted, nor should its people. And the drivers of this exploitation, greed, racism, capitalism, and other systems of oppression should be rejected and dismantled. If we combine social justice efforts with environmental awareness efforts, we will harness enough power, representation, and momentum to have a shot at protecting our planet and creating equity at the same time. It is my pleasure now to introduce today's platform speaker, Edwin Guevara. Mr. Guevara works as an outreach and education specialist at the Maryland Department of Natural Resources. He has a degree in wildlife management from the University of Puerto Rico at Umacao and has taught high school uh, science for 18 years. Thank you so much for coming to speak with us today. We're looking forward to hearing from you on the subject of environmental consciousness and racial justice. For that introduction. Good morning, everybody. I have my notes on my work phone, so taking that out. Which also means I have to put on my readers. All right, so um, part of uh, the topics of conversation I want to talk about in regards to uh, environmental and racial justice uh, some of them are the examples that uh, we've, I've found during research online, and some of them will be anecdotal examples of ways that I've faced that or I've observed it, whether it's through my upbringing or my students. So, so here we go. So as um, one of the things that was covered earlier this morning was the definition of environmental justice, um, but again, as when I was teaching, repetition sometimes leads to remembering. Uh, so it's defined by the, at least some of the materials I found through the uh, Environmental Protection Agency as 
the fair treatment and meaningful involvement of all people, regardless of race, color, national origin, or income with respect to the development, implementation, and enforcement of environmental laws, regulations, and policies. Um, that's, that's the hope that when a place does have a good sense of environmental justice um, and racial justice, that it is, it is a place that has equality for the health and well-being of all of the people in that population. Now, um, one of the biggest topics, which when I was in high school was called global warming, um, it's more accurately called climate change because sometimes it's a warming, sometimes it's a cooling, but it is an extreme of how the weather can behave, basically due to a lot of, uh, let me take a look. It's a lot of uh, what is done through the, uh, in the, a lot of the industrialized areas of the, of the planet. So climate change is not only um, an issue of the environment, but it's also an, an issue of environmental justice and human rights. Uh, people of color and low income communities are responsible for, uh, less responsible for climate change, but their communities um, bear most of the brunt. Um, some of the examples I have witnessed uh, as I was still teaching high school at this point last year, and if anybody has, has kept in time with a lot of the newspapers, a lot of my students in Baltimore City had to boil their water in order to be able to just drink it. Um, that, that should be something that we never hear about. Um, as I taught uh, a class uh, that we called Integrated Science in the school, I wanted to give students an opportunity to see exactly why some of this th these things might happen because it's not, last year was not the first boil water advisory. So I took a class of students to a wastewater treatment plant and showed them, you know, the people there were very gracious to give us a tour. And of course, teenagers being teenagers, they complained about the smell 90% of the time, um, which to me was a little bit funny because I'm like, well, yeah, but you also said you wanted to be outside of the structured building of a school. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, they were kind of sucking it up so that they could be outside. Um, but after we left, I was able to debrief with them saying, you can see that you can read about this place in Dundalk, uh, which is the wastewater treatment plant there and how underfunded it is because it's not affecting the people that live in the big high rises, the places that advertise themselves as starting at the low price of 700000 et cetera. It's the people that live in the row homes. They try to make them as beautiful as possible, but where the garbage pickup isn't as, as, as consistent as it should be, where the pipes um, have some you know, heavy metals that are a problem. There's a lot of lead, um, not just in like paint problems, but in the pipes. We, I had a group of students as well test the water, and all we did was we, we bought the school. I got the school to buy a well water testing kit and no parts per million of no parts per billion of lead should be acceptable but is it easy for people that have low income to completely replace the piping in their houses that is completely unrealistic and that is why it is unjust it is unjust in the sense of yeah we can tell you all these guidelines how to live by um you have to do this you have to do that 
And then when it, when the amount of money becomes something that is not realistic, when you look at a family that has to feed, you know, three or, their three or four children and have to work two jobs, something as what might seem as simple as replacing the pipes, getting a person to come in and test for lead on the paint, it becomes really unfeasible. And it's not until you're like there living it that you can see how hard it is um, which is why I always taught, taught my students, you need to practice empathy because if it doesn't affect you, think about how it's affecting others and how those challenges can be. So looking at some of the other um, statistics I have, and I believe that this presentation might be shared with you guys later. I had some technical um, difficulties at home, but there is a graphic I have that talks about um, from 2003 to 2015, this was published in um, the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, um, the statistic is that 63% of Latinx Americans and 56% of Black Americans are exposed to 63% more pollution than they themselves produce. Or I should say we ourselves produce because I fall into that Latinx category. Whereas non-Hispanic white Americans get exposed to 17% less pollution that they produce. So that means where you get to, if it's easier for you to pick where you live, you're not gonna live next to the Baltimore Wheelabrator, which is that big smokestack close to Raven Stadium. Uh, they burn trash there, uh, which helps with a problem of the volume of the trash, but the filters in those stacks actually ruin the quality of air for people that live around that area. Um, so is that just? Not really. Um, and that becomes a problem with higher, um, higher degrees of asthma. I met a gentleman um, who was actually doing a study with bats to see um, how their health is affected depending on where they live in urban areas. This was a few weeks ago. And around that area where that Baltimore wheel liberator is, that's where like the highest percentages of asthma were. So it'll be interesting to see what he finds out regarding the bats, but we already know regarding the human beings that places like that are bad for their health. I was also um, listening to an article on NPR about um, there's a lake in California that's actually filled up again with all the rain, um, but the people that live next to this, uh, this lake is so toxic that they have no, they don't have any options to move. But when you read these statistics on the incidences of cancer and asthma and well, cancer is way worse, but all these health detriments that happen to the population, you find out they're not there because they want to be there. They're there because that's barely what they can afford to be at. Um, when we look at the cost of housing, I remember in 2000, my mom bought an apartment in, uh, New London, Connecticut for about $70,000. That would be impossible to find nowadays. So you have to adjust and live where you can afford. And a lot of the times, especially with that statistic of the 63 and 56% of uh, populations of color uh, being more exposed to pollution, that's, that's kind of what happens. Um, I'm only about 40, I'm gonna be 44 years old in a few weeks. Um, and I remember as a kid, a lot of the responsibility was put on the citizen to help clean the earth. And yeah, I still do. I do my recycling. I sort everything. I, I like the first R where I reduce the waste. Um, 
and I do try to reuse as much as possible. Um, but the, that actually was the, the whole personal responsibility was actually started by the companies themselves to shed the responsibility of them being liable for their pollution to the people. Um, can anybody, I don't know if this is supposed to be interactive, but can you raise your hand if you've ever heard of a carbon footprint, a person's carbon footprint? Um, that was actually started by BP, the oil company, um, which, you know, a few years later ended up dumping millions and millions of gallons of crude oil into the Gulf of Mexico. So where the, where's their personal responsibility for that? So the people that live in coastal areas of the Gulf usually are people that are impoverished, rely on fishing for, for, for generations that was impacted by the BP Deepwater Horizon spill. So yeah, you, you, it is not a bad thing to check your carbon footprint, but it's ironic that no matter what your carbon footprint is, you probably have never done even a small fraction of a percentage of the damage that the company that touted that to people did in this oil spill. So it's, I, I feel like one of the ways that would be best to reach equity when it comes to racial justice is to actually have the bigger companies also be involved and even more liable for the pollution that they cause than just preaching to the smaller, you know, individual person about what they can do. That is still good. We should do as much as we can individually. But if what we're doing isn't offsetting, like I'm pretty sure everybody in this room does a wonderful job not being polluters. But if we've kept an eye on carbon and emissions and pollution, it's still increasing to the point where we're still trying to get to that point where we're not going to end up going by up by a few degrees enough to melt everything in the polar ice caps. And it's more than just the individual. So what happens when I when people ask me, well, if we're doing our part and we still are living you know in poverty because we just can't get out of this area what can we do luckily um, i have a list of resources that i share if, if anybody here wants to get involved and look at some organizations that are on the local and national level that actually help advocate um, with hope with policy makers um, with groups that can organize in larger coalitions to actually try to help cat uh, cause a change. Um, usually us, the, the little guy, little, little people complaining in large groups are the best way to get any change done. And then continuing to monitor and hold them responsible because it does feel good to call it a victory and walk away. But then uh, as soon as you walk away, they kind of, if you don't watch them and hold them accountable, they'll kind of go back to under promises. A lot of companies will. So, um, who is most likely to be affected? Low-income people are less likely to have access to um, heat adaptive uh, features. 71% of African-Americans live in counties in violation of federal air pollution standards as compared to 58% of non-Hispanic whites. Um, asthma has a strong association with air pollution and African-Americans have a 36% higher rate of incident. And this is not because it's a genetic thing. It is because of the less care that has been taken in a lot of areas where working class people lived that still haven't been updated to these days. Like federal standards should be met countrywide. 
70% of white families own their own home, while only approximately 50% of African-American families do. And these statistics, these statistics are from the uh, Environmental Protection Agency. Um, racial discrimination is the nation's, in the nation's housing market has resulted in the disparity of housing equity. And I have actually read a few articles about how they have seen real estate people offer different rates of interest uh, to people of different ethnicities, which is something that obviously should get those companies just like, no, you no longer sell houses. <laughs> and it is a thing that they're caught, you call them on it, they don't, they don't really admit it. And then there's the paperwork. What do you do from there? Racial discrimination in homeowners insurance is also extensive. Um, again, all of these things are what perpetuate people not being able to better out of a situation where they feel like they're trapped. Um, African-Americans spend 30% more on inc of their income in energy than whites, because let's suppose uh, somebody that has a higher income that happens to live in a affluent neighborhood can afford a $2,000 dryer that spends almost no electricity. But I know for a fact that when my dryer broke, I bought whatever was at like for $400 at Best Buy because it was just easier to take home, affordable, I could pay it off in small increments. So it's one of those things where, yeah, then eventually it, the carbon footprint or the energy bill of energy efficient appliances does save you money, but that upfront cost is what a lot of people that have lower resources can't afford. Um, so a uh, couple more things. African-Americans maintain higher rates of food insecurity. Um, I worked with a school that was predominantly Latinx and African-American. Um, and I got to speak to a lot of my students, especially when it came to sciences about what food insecurities meant. So if you go to the part of Baltimore where I taught, it is close to a, a high school called Dunbar. They used to have one supermarket within probably three to four, four to five mile radius. And it was a save a lot, which is not a supermarket you see everywhere but when it's the one you have, you appreciate it. And they closed it, they closed the Save-A-Lot. And so people were like, well, there's a, there's a Roots Market over here and a Whole Foods over here. Well, those are nice, but you can't really afford to buy the amount of groceries at a Whole Foods that you could at Save-A-Lot. So if a person um, you know, has only a set amount of money and they can get a full cart of groceries and Save-A-Lot, that's not gonna happen at Whole Foods, they don't have, the, the distinction in, in, in income sometimes does not allow for that. So that's when, if you guys have ever heard the terms food desert or food apartheid, uh, those are the things that happen when you, you don't have access to those foods. And I had my students look at um, the prevalence of corner stores in a lot of these neighborhoods where, well, yeah, a corner store has you know Cheetos and it has sugary juices, but if a kid has like a dollar twenty, they can get a bag of chips and a juice. They're not gonna spend a dollar twenty on one apple, even though the apple's better for them. So there have been initiatives done in Baltimore City to try to get uh, vouchers for for folks to get fresh fruit and vegetables in those corner stores. The big long-term solution would be to have more accessible supermarkets and accessible so that the person doesn't have to take an hour and a half bus ride to go do groceries. They can just walk down the street, have the right for food. Food should be a right, 
Of course, they're going to buy it. It should be a right for you to have access to that food, not to have to take three taxis and spend half of the money on groceries on an Uber or, um, or if you're trying to get your groceries on a bus, it limits what you can carry onto a bus. So that leads to also health issues and it leads to, well, how the food's brought here. Is that going to cause, you know, more carbon to be emitted if like the fruit comes from California as opposed to produce markets, which are local. So main point of that being that part of the whole discussion on racial equity is also being able to have access to food and hopefully food that's locally sourced, which comes to the environmental justice piece. So um, when it comes to share resources, I always figured a lot is better than none. So there will be um, a document and I also can email the list again to people that might need it. I have business cards on resources to help. And just to give you like a few of the ones that I, I can just call them by name. There are a couple of groups like Naturally Latinos. Um, there is uh, Outdoor Afro, Unlikely Hikers, Outdoor Asian, Latino Outdoors. Um, there, uh, there's also Indigenous Educators. Um, and then there are a few articles I shared, like the Brown Girl podcast, um, how LGBTQ people are breaking down barriers to take on the great outdoors, the deep roots of outdoor recreation's diversity gap. These are all things that you can take at your own leisure and look through them and read them and hopefully come out of it a bit more enriched. Um, I feel like it looks like the people that do come here are already uh, uh, environmentally aware, so that's a very good start. It's not like I have my work cut out from scratch. Um, so what I would like for people to do is to encourage them to at least look at a few of those links. If you're not already involved with a group, maybe look to see um, a group that matches the level of involvement that you can afford to give. Because I know time is precious and a lot of people are probably involved in many, many things, but it is worthwhile to check um, and get involved in and, and understand that when people do say that there is a big divide and a, a big amount of racial inequality, not just that, yeah, it's there, but what led to that racial inequality? What led to where we are now? Um, which is why um, I try not to get political, but when I hear slogans like make America great again, I'm like, well, when people consider that, my mom was using a different water fountain than other people, so to us, Great was like the 80s, I guess. I got to ride my bike and watch movies and not care in the world because I was young. Um, but when it comes to a lot of these things, that's why words like that will resonate with different uh, parts of the population differently. So to me, making this country great would be making it so everybody can go outside and breathe and have clean air and there's enough grass and wetlands and, and drylands to suck up the rain so there's no floods. Um, that's my, my vision of a awesome America at its awesomest, having everybody have the same opportunities exactly to have a clean, healthy lifestyle where they can prosper. Um, that is all I have for you guys today. If you can tell me what we can do next, I can.
Thank you very much, Edwin. You've given us a lot to think about and some helpful suggestions going forward. In a few minutes, we'll have our community sharing time when you can write into the Zoom chat or share in person about what resonated with you in this platform. As some of you know, the last two weeks, the response period has gone on much longer than usual. So this week, I'm going to experiment with a two-minute limit on responses here at the microphone. I'll give folks a heads up at 90 seconds, and we'll ask anyone who shows no signs of wrapping up after two minutes to please step away from the mic. So while we listen today's, to today's musical response, please keep that time frame in mind as you think about a personal experience or perspective that you'd like to share, and save the longer ones for the social hour, or perhaps the West Exchange group or the Facebook page. Trouble. 
Okay, as promised, this is the time when we add our own voices to the morning, sharing our reflections on the platform or what resonates with our personal experience. For those who are not familiar with the format here, this is not a question and answer session, but Edwin has graciously agreed to hang out for a while after the platform if anyone wants to talk with him directly and uh, get some questions answered. So. Um, I will start by reading the initial Zoom comments, and while I'm doing that, folks who want to speak at the mic uh, can line up along here. Um, so a first uh, chat comment is from Rich Reese. West tries to do its part for the environment through generating solar electricity, saving energy, cleaning a nearby stream, and having an insect garden for monarch butterflies. Edwin Guevara gave us a good overview of the challenges for less affluent people everywhere. Uh, for those who don't recognize that name, Rich Reese is a longtime member here who has moved with his wife to Baltimore to be with their grandchildren and is now more active in the Baltimore society. But uh, we certainly appreciate all that Rich has done for us over the years here. Um, okay, so that's all the chat comment for now. So I'm glad to see that I haven't scared everybody off with my two minute limit uh, for talking in the hall. Um, when it's your turn at the mic, please begin by saying your name and perhaps your pronouns. Uh, I'm Ann, she, her, and uh, I think I missed what Rich said, but I did, first of all, I wanna let you all know that the Earth Ethics um, sort of nominated Edwin um, to come speak today, and we're glad he agreed. And um, also, I, I think personally, I have had a little bit of difficulty absorbing the pre-reading, which said something about um, that individual, Ms. Turner, um, um, wanting to make sure that people were as important, you know, as the environment. And I, I mean, obviously that is true, although as an environmentalist, I kind of probably prioritize the environment. But I'd love to hear what you said, that that was about how human health, enabling good human health enables a good environment. Thank you. Thank you, Ann. Um, when you come to the microphone, you're welcome to take off your mask, to make it easier for people to hear you. I'm Josh. Um, I want to say appreciation to you, Perry, and, and for the music today. I think it's a fantastic. And, and Edwin, I really enjoyed the way that you brought together um, different elements of justice, health justice, um, with environmental justice, uh, along with racial racial justice. I think it's it's a really important um, way to view 
this issue as, as an interconnected set of, of, of things. Um, one thing that I think about, uh, and I'm maybe more pessimistic than most, is, um, is adaptation as opposed to mitigation. Um, and I'd be interested to talk with you afterwards about how that, uh, what the efforts are at the state level to do that. Um, but one thing that you really focused on, I think, was the power of communal active uh, activism versus individual activism. And I was listening to a person called Doug Farr, who runs the Climate Action Museum in Chicago. And he compared, uh, he was talking about um, a similar effort in New York, and you sort of end up at the end by taking these stickers. And they're, they're just, they're all about individual action and they're so kind of limp. It's like, I'm gonna post to social media, or I'm gonna write a letter. And it's really that collective action. And I think that, you know, what we do at the state level is, is tremendously important, particularly with um, water and river conservation. That's just um, so important. And, and I really appreciate that, that focus today. Thank you. Hi, I'm Ross. Thank you so much. That was a really wonderful talk. There's a lot of takeaways, really, for all of us to consider. Uh, environmental injustice being one of the main ones that you talked about. I think it's, we live in a time where things become really overwhelming. And part of being part of a community is to not be overwhelmed and look for ways we can be take a deep breath, and then actually do something. We talk about deed before creed. One of the things that we can do, um, and it's being done very well, is to, is to join an organization that's in existence. We can't each start our own organization. We can do our individual contributions in the car we drive, public transportation. A lot of it's been legislated now. Recycling was a new thing after Earth Day. And now it's legislated in most of the places. We did tree permits, things like that. But I'll give a quick plug to uh, the Chesapeake Climate Action Network, CCAN. It's been around for a long time. Sue Jacobson sort of inspired me to look into that years ago. And uh, I give a small contribution every month. They also will train you to go to Annapolis and lobby. They're very effective at it. Uh, they're very much into uh, bringing uh, racial justice forward. And uh, it's a great antidote for being overwhelmed. It helps your spirit. It helps the planet. So. Join an organization, as, in, as you said, of individuals uniting to make some change. Thank you. Hi, Rajesh. Be uh, his. I don't come here to speak uh, very often, so I'm really sad that I am limited to two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but seriously, though. Uh, I just wanted to, to say two things. One is uh, that I noticed that there was a, a bunch of booklets out there about veganism. I think it's really worthwhile considering the implications of meat eating on the planet. So small plug for veganism, although I'm not a vegan. Uh, the second um, is that when you talk about environmental injustice, uh, Edwin, you rightly pointed out to what's going on in this country, um, and that's really important. Not to take away from that, but when you saw the pictures of the people in Pakistan who were completely flooded out mm -hmm. uh, for months at a stretch, and that country has contributed just 1% uh, to the total waste generated in the world, and you see the international injustice uh, 
uh, as well, which is worth thinking about and, uh, and worth helping out with. Thank you. I'm Denise, she, her. Uh, I really appreciated the focus on the balance between community and sort of systems versus individual responsibility. One of the things that I think a lot about because my partner has an EV, is a huge EV fan, and that's great. And he's made a big dent in his own personal carbon footprint just by switching from a gas-powered car to an EV. But we've also, we live in a townhouse, we formerly rented uh, in a condo. So we've, I mean, we're pretty privileged, but we've had to face our own challenges with charging an EV without having a dedicated space at home. And the other thing that I think about with that, on the way down, NPR had a story, they're interviewing uh, the head of a battery factory, they're talking about the Biden administration's new push for EV standards uh, by 2032. And I think it's interesting that the promise seems to be everything's going to stay the same. You're just going to drive an EV and we don't really talk about changing the systems that we have where everybody spends so much time driving to and from work and everything else. And I say this as somebody that drives 40 minutes to get to West. So just I don't know what the solution is, just something that I think about a lot in these contexts is the system versus individual responsibility. I think the solution is for you to move closer to Wes. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> uh, my name is Andre. I'm a new member. Uh, I just want to say thank you, Edwin, for reaching black and brown kids. Uh, 89, I think, 88, 89 is when Earth Day started taking off, right? That's when I was in high school, and we had nothing like what you give the kids in Baltimore. Thank you. Uh, what I want to talk about is, uh, is not Earth Day. I, I wanted to do this last week. Uh, something incredible happened three years ago. Uh, my mom, who... <clears throat> She just passed in October, but three years ago, uh, she was living semi-independently. She was 84. Uh, there was a fire at her condo. And, and she lived on the fifth floor. There was no way she could have made it downstairs. Her neighbor down the hallway, a guy named Tony Greer, went and checked on her, uh, carried her on his back. Mm. down the stairs, smoke-filled staircase with his wife in hand, carried her to safety. Uh, and what we do every year to celebrate that kind of humanity is we have a celebration at my home that I want to invite each and any of you to. We call it uh, Love and Appreciation Day, uh, where I just I get together with my friends, my family, my neighbors, and we talk about and we reflect on the people in our lives that have made impacts, not maybe as heroic as, as Tony Greer's, but just consistently in our lives for the kids in your classroom. Someone's going to remember you. Uh, 
and the things and the loving actions that spurred the feeling. For Tony, it was sacrifice. He didn't have to do that. He could have just taken his wife downstairs and made sure they were safe, but he sacrificed his safety to go check on my mom. So there's uh, a sheet out front on the table. If you're interested to just RSVP, um, it's next Saturday at four o'clock. I live um, about a mile down the street at Blackton, Blackton Avenue. Thanks. Thank you all for sharing. Uh, I see that there are no more Zoom comments that have come in, and so we will move on. Appreciate those of you who shared and those of you who gave the attention to the people who were sharing. Just as we share our perspectives in this community, so too do we share our resources and gifts. Here at West, we split all undesignated gifts in the Sunday collection between our operating budget and a fund dedicated to justice and compassion. This month, we're sharing the plate with the Capoeira Spot, whose vision is to empower the DC community with Capoeira's art form of liberation. Capoeira is an Afro-Brazilian martial art created by African warriors who were enslaved in Brazil during colonial times, disguising their martial arts as a dance using music and samba was used to preserve the lives, culture, and traditions of African people in Brazil, and wielded to resist enslavement and later forms of anti-Black oppression. It has now taken root all over the world. Let's all take a moment to prepare to respond to the invitation to generosity as we are able, to, no to donate online through the Simple Give system, text an amount to 202-335-1885, or go to tiny.cc slash westgives, or click on give on our website, ethicalsociety.org. To donate in person today, just place cash or check in the basket at the back of the hall on your way out. And of course, you can always send a check by mail. Thank you for your generosity. We will now receive your gifts and the gift of music. Uh, if you're here in the hall, I understand we have a technical glitch that will prevent our, oh, has that been solved? Oh, wait, people in the Zoom will not hear it. That's what I was about to say. Okay, yeah, if you're on Zoom, you will not be hearing the music apparently. Uh, talk amongst yourselves, uh, just take another opportunity for meditation or whatever, after of course you made whatever donation you're going to make. So, thank you.
Thank you so much to the many people who helped to create this morning's time together. Senior Leader Casey Slack and staff members Indara Miles, Robin Kravitz, Tamana Barangi, Maceo Thomas, and Leah Morris, who provided today's music. And of course, our platform production team, uh, slide artists, Zoom chat usher, in-person greeters, and the hardworking tech team. Uh, you'll see all their names on the closing credits slide. At the conclusion of the platform, please join us, <clears throat> excuse me, for social hour, either here or via Zoom. Uh, first though, I wanna mention a few things upcoming in the life of our community and the wider world. Today at 12.30 in the Social Hall, the Community Relations Committee will conduct a workshop on respectful disagreeing, a skill that we can all use in our daily lives as well as here in the West community. Also today, the Science Fiction Fantasy Book Club will meet online at 1.30 p.m. That's an update from the 1 p.m. shown in Thursday's News and Notes email. Speaking of Thursday, this coming Thursday, there will be a protest at the Salvadoran Embassy at 4 p.m. as part of an international week of action to demand the release of the five water defenders and to support the country's ban on mining. Our friends in El Rodeo need the support of the world community on this. You can get more information on Thursday's protest from Ross Wells. Next Sunday's platform will be our annual Spring Festival. And two weeks after that, we'll hold our annual Founders Day platform. Member volunteers are needed to help make those events the special celebrations they should be. Please contact the West office. West's unique status as a member of both the American Ethical Union and the Unitarian Universalist Association means that we are entitled to have delegates represent us at the annual national meetings of both organizations the AEU Assembly, and the UUA General Assembly. Please see West Board President Trang Duong for more information on those opportunities. And finally, two more opportunities courtesy of the AEU. First, the union is offering $500 grants for societies to use for social events with neighboring societies this summer. With both the Northern Virginia and Baltimore societies in the vicinity, that's something we could take advantage of. Second, the AEU is offering multiple online events on restorative justice in May and June, including an introductory webinar, a two-day training, and a workshop. Again, Trang can provide more information on those opportunities. So uh, that's it for my announcements today. As always, you can find information about opportunities to connect in the Sunday links and Sunday links and news and notes emails on Thursday and on the calendar page of Wes's website, ethicalsociety.org. Thank you all for being part of Platform today, whether in person, via Zoom, or watching later. I now invite you to join in singing our Song of the Month. We resist we refuse. Oh, okay. Thank you. I will make a note of that. We rise up. We won't now back down. With our closing song. We're in this till the end. We resist. We refuse. To let hatred in. We rise up. We won't back down. We're in this till the end. 
we resist, we refuse to let hatred in. We rise up, we won't back down. We're in this till the end. Embrace your enemy. Welcome the stranger. Show love to your neighbor. We're in this till the end. Embrace your enemy. A few last reminders before we leave. If you're new to our community, please send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, and introduce yourself. For those who wish to socialize online to reach virtual coffee hour, point your browser to tiny.cc slash westcoffeehour. And now I invite you to join me in our closing words for the month. Let us go into the week ahead with compassion, understanding and commitment, affirming the inherent worth of black life, resisting all oppression, and transforming the world through our care. Again, thank you all for joining today's platform. We look forward to connecting with you again at next week's Spring Festival or some other time soon. <laughs>